This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, I am Glenda Geek coming to you from the middle of Elsa in Ocala, Florida. <laughs> and I'm Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July 7th, episode 2719, brought to you today by Stateline Tack. Good morning, horse people. Everybody up, rise and shine. It's a new day. It's Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Here we can go again. And away we go. That's right. My power is on and we are here. I Knock t- on wood, buddy. <laughs> so far. So if this show immediately cuts out after you start listening to it, the power went out and that's all the show you get. That's all you get. We're going to give you what we have before the power goes out. Actually, it hasn't been too bad. It's been, we've had three inches of rain in about three hours here this morning, but the wind has been maybe 40 40 miles per hour. So, so far we have power. So Uh, is it technically a hurricane or is it a It was a hurricane before it before it hit land. It's tropical storm now, and it should be passing us. Most of it's passed us now in Ocala. And I haven't heard about too many power outages. I figure Irma took down all the trees that were a problem a couple of years ago, and now we're just left with the healthy ones. That's my theory. That's why we're And still what's in the, the name of this tropical storm? Elsa. This is Let it go. Yeah, yeah, I, knew, it I, knew, go. I knew that was gonna happen. Okay. I, was, I had to. <laughs> I, I knew that was gonna happen. And there's a lot of Elsa memes out there right now this morning too, I noticed. Like the rain doesn't bother me anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Kinda>. <laughs> exactly. So Fortunately, it's uh, not quite as bad as uh, past storms, and we'll hope it just it's going to make everybody wet up the coast. So if you're driving on I-95 today, that's a torture anyway. Good luck. It's going to yeah. be fun in the pouring down rain. But uh, there was this study I wanted to start with today because, you know, Wednesdays is sometimes study show day. And this this was interesting. Researchers at Middle Tennessee State University, they created a study to determine whether different leg wraps increase the temperature of the leg during exercise. And what they're saying is that if the leg gets hot, it's more susceptible to injury. So... Um, because the leg by itself uh, cools itself by taking the heat away from the skin's surface. And you can't do that if there's a bandage on it. So they, I'm not going to go through the whole survey. You, survey. you can go to Pollock Report, and I'll post a link to it here. But this is what the bottom line was. They discovered that the leg not wearing any boot had the lowest temperature, that fleece polo wraps caused the most heat and humidity buildup, and that all limbs wearing boots rose to temperatures that could harm tendon cells. None of the treated limbs returned to their baseline temperature after the recovery period. So what they basically said was in 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 this case, as far as tendons is concerned, uh, you're better off without any wraps. They did say, though, that the limb's cooling ability is impaired by boots or wraps, which can damage the STFT, the 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 tendons. By applying boots, the, te- the team recommends riders consider the intensity of the workload, the ambient temperature, boot design, and material, and how the horse goes. 
if you wear le- if your horse wears leg protection, it's best to remove it as soon as possible once the horse is done working and cold hose the legs immediately. So the SDFT is the digital flexor tendon, but it's the one right there on the surface. Um, Which is, so isn't that the one you're really trying to protect with boots? Well, you know, the reason you wear boots too is, you know, if you're using polo wraps and you're going underneath the fetlock, then yes, you're like, I'm going to, you know, help the superficial digital flexor tendon. But a big reason that a lot of people wear boots is, uh, especially me with my horses, in the summertime, they all wear fleece Velcro boots. So it has a little bit of more airflow to it than the regular like neoprene ones on the inside. But mainly you're he- you're protecting the um, splint bones going down the side. So I'd rather have a warm leg and not fracture a splint bone, yeah. you know, so you got to like, t- you know, you, like you pick I your have poison. horses that yeah. are their babies and they don't really understand how to move without hitting them. They take their right front and whack their left front, you know, by turning or something like that. So you, it's kind of like, They'll try to find the lesser of two evils, but again, like I use the back on track wraparound boots in the winter, but I don't use them in the summer because the legs get really hot and you can see it when you take the leg boot off and then there's complete sweat underneath there, you know, so you've got to, you choose the lesser of two evils when you are doing it, but do know the, yeah, that polo wraps, it's like a little hot lava pocket that you're creating when you use those so yeah i guess the key is if you do use them hose hose the legs right away when you're done well and 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 i have summer boots and winter boots because i'm a diva i'm like (laughs) ah bring out the summer collection well you do live in oklahoma so (laughs) it's a little sticky yeah yeah, a little bit but yeah i'd rather use i use the like the fleece dressage boots that you just pull around and velcro around to protect the the splint bones there you go. Well, there's this, the latest study. You can find, We'll post a link to that if you want to go in and read all how they did it. And they tested all different kinds of boots and everything. But I got bored halfway through it, so I just went... I, I, <laughs> I'm surprised you got that far. <laughs> you know, with me, with study show, I read the first paragraph and what the results were. That's what I... That's that's all I care about. Well, on today's show, we have Jennifer Connor, who's stopping by to tell us about her new HRN podcast called Equestrian B2B. Hopefully, Dr. Jones will be here. She's also in Florida, so we'll find, we'll, we'll hope she shows up. She's going to discuss the SI joint and uh, the issues associated with that. Plus, our Black Reigns Equestrian of the Month is Velvet Salisbury, and she's going to stop by, hopefully. She's from Ocala, so if she has power, she'll be here. So it's like the All-Florida Day here on the show, as far as Good guests idea are concerned. Good idea on a day of <laughs> I know, a tropical storm. A hurricane. And I guess you have some weird news, too? Stacked up we over may there. Go, we may head to Florida as well in that, so you never know. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we will. We always seem <laughs> to. But first, we have to do some Daily Winnies. So this, we don't have any auditor birthdays today, believe it or not, but my brother Gary, who lives in Connecticut, it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Gary. He's the one that everybody always thought we were twins. Now, he's going bald, and I still have hair, so nobody thinks that anymore. But um, <laughs> Oh, how does that happen? <laughs> I don't know. Because Chad has a full head of hair, and his brother is... I don't thinning. know. It's weird because my dad had hair, too, until they died. Uh, so Did this is- your mother's grandfather have hair? I don't remember him. Oh, 
Oh, see, they usually say that the gene comes from the mother's father. See, I'm sorry, not your mother's grandfather, your mother's father. So yeah, your grandfather. I never met him. He died when she was young. So I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know about that. But well, you better start taking some Propecia, my friend, because it could be hitting you next. <laughs> we, we, uh, we looked so much alike that when he had his first son, was about two years old, and I went to, to visit them, and the son looked at me and screamed, because he looked at me, he looked at his dad, he looked back at me, and he screamed because he didn't know what was going on. He was so concerned there were two wow. of us. Wow, wow. <laughs> or I was just horrifying looking one or the other. Man, y'all are keeping me busy. So I, I talked a little bit about kicking rings on the show, I guess a couple weeks ago, probably before I went to California. It was a while ago. And I talked about there are these metal rings that you can put on your horse and they sit and they're Monty Roberts kind of idea, <clears throat> but you have to have your farrier make them. And they're rings that go around the ankle of the horse, either on the front leg or the hind leg to deter either pawing or kicking. They are benign when they're just sitting there, but if the horse paws, this metal ring hits them in the coronary band, doesn't cause damage is definitely uncomfortable. Uh, and you tie them on with some shoelaces. So it's like a ring that's about three quarters of the way around. And then you put it like on the horse uh, up at the tendon, you slide it down. I was wondering how you got it on. Hook. Cause it looked like, I didn't know how you got the leg in it. Yeah. Well you have, you it doesn't go around the pastern, but it goes around the, the cannon bone and then you uh, slide it down okay. and you tie, like basically you put a shoelace through it and you just tie it like a shoelace. Now, when you are doing it, you do want to be careful because the horse is going to be like, what is that on my leg? So mm -hmm. I'm just telling you Just now, like when you put boots on them, they do the dance. Yeah. They yeah. kind of go, Oh my God. You know? And so just be very careful when you put them on. But anyway, my farrier made a set of four and because I had had so many messages about it and my farrier is amazing. And she's the coolest chick in the world. And she like makes these things for me. I gave her Monty's book and I was like, can you make these please? And that's how I taught Groot not to like slam his front legs in the trailer when I was uh, my makeover horse, because he was so, he would strike and strike and strike. And I put the kicking rings on him, let him walk around in him for a minute, loaded him in the trailer. He struck once. And he's like, okay. That I'm wasn't much fun. That forever. <laughs> so you don't need them super long because they learn fairly quickly. But I have a, we have a listener whose horse kick has now kicked through the wall when she eats. Oh, so she's going to put the, put them on the hind legs for kicking because when they go to kick, bam, it hits them in the coronary band. And then they really quickly teach themselves not to kick. And I have had places that like you lean underneath the bottom of the stall when you feed them. And then as soon as they go to lift that like you hit it with a whip and it, it, who's got time for that? <laughs> Nor wants to do that. Yeah, exactly. So, so that is kind of how it ended up. Uh, so anyway, I said, I've got some kicking rings if anybody wants them. And the four pair were gone almost instantaneously. And I've got one, two, three, four, five, six orders for more. So if you want a pair of these kicking rings, they're 50 bucks. And you get one? Um, you, you, get, you get a set of two. Oh, two. Okay. 
So and, the, and so the shipping because I can cram them into a, like a little box that they don't weigh because they're pretty heavy. Uh, Seven dollars, so fifty-seven dollars will get you a set of kicking rings. But I have to go to the post office, so they, they are the first four are going to be mailed out today, and then I she's coming today too. So I'm going to show her all your emails and be like, make more immediately. So she has to pound these out, I guess. Oh my god, she's like, I said to her, I go, how much work is it to make these? She was like, mm, it's not that bad. I just take a piece of metal. I have to cut it, Heat and then it. I shape it and bend it, and then I file it, and then I stain it. Like I was like, that sounds like a lot. Yeah, maybe a hundred dollars <laughs> is a better price. Oh well, she she named the price, so uh, you know, uh, it's it's a, definitely a lot of work for her at pounding out hot steel in July. Whatever, it's cool. She should get more, but that's what she charged. So that's what we're gonna do. And so you wouldn't leave those on while you were hauling. Would you leave them on while you were hauling? I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you want to leave them on. Monty says, don't leave them on in the pasture or anything like oh, yeah, that. Like, yeah, I can see what happened? They don't, they're not going to run around or anything yeah. and they're not going to ca- get caught on them or something like that. But, you know, like with, I, I would put them on in the stall, let them wear it for a few minutes, then take them over to the trailer, put them in the trailer and drive them around a mile, take them home, take them off. And, and after a while, I didn't, I didn't have to, actually, after twice, I didn't even put them on anymore. Um, but there are horses that, you know, Sure, there is an uncomfortable aspect when it comes to kicking and then it hits their coronary band, but the worst thing that can happen is the horse kicks the wall and fractures its coffin bone. Mm-hmm. Ask me how I know. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this has happened to me, and then the horse had to stand stall for a dang year. And if I or only if they had kick had at a gate, rings. they get their leg caught in the gate, and now you got a serious problem. Yeah, so yeah. you you definitely have to kind of be hover around them. Um, but this one listener was like, you know, I'm at a boarding facility. If I can put them on her at night and then bring her up in the morning, she's turned out by herself. I'm like, well, that you know, they're not going to want to run around in them because if they trot, they're going to hit them. But Monty says that the great thing about them is that where where it hits the coronary band, it actually stimulates hoof growth. So <laughs> it's like okay. uh, it's like a good thing. <laughs> I imagine it's kind of like getting hit in your funny bone. It's probably what it kind of feels like for them. It's like, I, oh, I don't want to do that again. If, if somebody like steps on your foot, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Like just pushes down on your foot. That's kind of how it feels. I mean, they're not like a million pounds or anything. So anyway, I just wanted to thank everybody who is interested in doing this. And if you are, send me an email, jamie at horseradionetwork.com. And in the subject line, put kicking rings. You guys, I get so many emails. I have to, like the weird news. I have to put, that has to go so I can search for them. <laughs> so that makes sense. Kicking rings. Got it. All right. Very good. Well, let's go to our first guest. We have a brand new show here on the Horse Radio Network. And one of the hosts is joining us today. Her name is Jennifer Connor. And it's, the show is called Equestrian B2B. And we're going to get Jennifer on here and have a little bit of chat with her. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. How are you today? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. So thank you for joining Jamie and I. We appreciate you stopping by. And con- Hello. Hi. Congratu- thanks for having me. Congratulations on your new show. It's out. Episode one is officially out. It is now on Apple. That took a took a minute or two, but it is now there. So you're official. I know. We're so excited. <laughs> I imagine you are. <laughs> so tell us about the show. What is the show about? Equestrian B2B. So Equestrian B2B comes from the Equestrian Business Women um, group that I'm part of with Jen Wood. And it's really a a place for us to talk to other women in the equine industry about their businesses, um, good business practices, things that we need to 
kind of think about and inspire other women in the equine industry. And you actually have had, pre-COVID, you had a conference or two uh, for this, right? Yes. Yeah, so we had the Equestrian Business Women Summit in 2019, and it was in West Palm. And it, we had a great turnout, and I think people really loved it. And last year, we got canceled. It was supposed to be during FEI World Cup in Vegas. And when COVID hit, we had to cancel it. And so Jen and I were talking about a way to reach women and continue it until we can get another summit together. And a podcast seemed like the most obvious choice. So Jamie, I produced the first uh, couple of episodes and we have, and I said, you guys are going to confuse the listeners because both hosts are named Jennifer. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, okay, we need to solve that problem. But you two actually went to college together, right? Rode on the team? Yes, we rode on the equestrian team at the University of South Carolina. We were roommates, co-captains, and we actually lived in a house with another girl named Jen. Oh, so, <laughs> well, her, they called her Jenny, but it, it, there were a lot of us. So, um, I got the nickname Connor, and actually, a lot of the girls had, were already calling me Connor just on the team to distinguish between Jen Wood and I. So, <laughs> I want to talk more about the show, but I first want to talk a little bit about your background. You worked as a bloodstock coordinator at a farm in New York. Yes, at Blue Chip Farms. And so what what yeah. did you do? What does a bloodstock coordinator do? Oh, well, I shipped semen from the stallions all over the state, and I organized a lot of events at the farm when we were having sales, and I, I did the sale setup, and I um, helped show yearlings and bring people in for the yearlings, so I did... Um, a lot of contracts on the stallions and we shipped stallions down under. So I would do all the paperwork and help the vet with that and the quarantine. Betcha you learned a lot in that job. Oh yeah. I, I did so many different things and I, I really enjoyed it. And actually it kind of helped lead to what I do today because I was also in charge of all of the pharmaceuticals on the farm and making sure that it was administered appropriately to all the foals and ordering it and making sure we had everything in stock. So then naturally when a job opened up in the pharmaceutical industry, I was able to kind of slide in there fairly easily because I knew all of the medications and a lot of the reps and kind of how everything went. And I know that's what you do now. Before we get to yep. that, there was a famous show jumper that came out of the barn. Was that while you were there? Yes. Yes, I was there. Okay. I was there. Who was Sapphire it? was there. It was Sapphire. Uh, okay. That's a name yeah. that probably a lot of people know. Never heard yeah. of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was there um, when she went to Beijing. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, and um, Tom Grossman, who owns the farm, he actually went over there and got to watch her go and win the gold medal. So, it was pretty cool. It was a pretty great experience to be able to be part of her. <laughs> And now you're in the equine pharmaceutical business, right? Yes, I am. So what do I you do for, there? Well, I am the Northeast Territory Manager, and I travel around to all the vet clinics and sponsorships and horse shows and kind of promote and educate on the products that we sell. So I work for DECRA Veterinary Products, and I, if you don't know DECRA, most people probably know the product that I, one of our big products that I sell, which is Osphos. Got it. Okay, cool. Well, this is, you know, we're so excited to have you guys. Your partner also has been in, your co-host has been in the horse world for a long time, right, Jennifer Wood? Y yes, she has. Yep. Yep. She, and she, she rode in Chicago and, yeah. And she runs her own marketing company now. 
Um, yes, she does. Yeah. And we, we've had, that's how I knew her because we would chat about guests and she helped us set up some uh, visits when we went to Wellington and things. So I've known her, uh, you know, on and off for the entire time we've been doing the network. So your first episode is out. What did you talk about in your first episode? In our first episode, we talked about how to protect yourself in the equine industry because I think one of one of the things about equestrian business women is that we're trying to to have a place where women can support each other, but also maybe bring in better business practices into the equine industry. And so, one of the places where we wanted to start was, you know, how people can protect themselves and make sure that they're advocating for themselves, really. Now, you can find this if you want to check it out. It's Equestrian B2B Podcast, and you can find it. Uh, just look up Equestrian B2B, and that's B, the number two B. Uh, you can find it on any podcast player now that should be out there. It's populating most everywhere. It'll be on the Horse Radio Network app here very shortly. That's been submitted, and we're just waiting for approvals for that. So you'll be able to find it. If you listen on the Horse Radio Network app, you'll find it there. But what's your website for Equestrian Businesswomen, for the website for the main organization? organization. It's eqbusinesswomen.com. Got it. Well, Jennifer. I have a quick question yeah, for ahead. you real quick. Uh, yeah. Jennifer, do you have cats? I don't. That's probably a good thing because we don't do this show on Skype. We, we do it on Skype, but we don't actually see each other because the audio <laughs> quality is usually a little better. But Jennifer's on camera and all I see behind you is a like a cabinet of beautiful, ornate, equine-related dishes yeah and i just thought if you have a cat them going down (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i don't have house cats we have a couple of barn cats probably the biggest fattest barn cats you ever want to see but we don't have house cats (laughs) that uh, you know they'd be like i came in like all that expensive china (laughs) (laughs) all that nice china is on the flow okay good don't get house cats just let me let you know ask me how i know okay Uh, Our okay. expensive china is still in a box. We still haven't put it out after twenty, after thirty years of marriage. It's still in a box. Uh, I, I, <laughs> we found out the plates are worth like one hundred twenty dollars each. So it's like <laughs> I don't want to put it out. I don't break it. Those, do you know what those would be called in my house, Glenn? What? Sold. Sold. Yeah, we thought about that. <laughs> we have to wait till a certain somebody's gone before we can do that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, there's, <laughs> there's that. Well, Jennifer, I know you weren't here to talk about uh, China or dishes, but <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Your set, your shows are going to come out on the first and the fifteenth. So the next episode will be out on the fifteenth of July, and they'll be coming out twice a month. And we're looking forward to working with you guys. Oh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. It's been great. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks. Bye. All right. So there you go. Another new show on the Horse Radio Network that you can check out. And if you look, every one of you out there, most of 95% of you are women, and uh, about 80% of you are in business in some way in the horse world. So uh, this is definitely a podcast that you should check out. And there are a lot of Glenn, you're amassing an equine podcast empire. I know. It just keeps adding more and more every day. And before we go on, I have to say congratulations to you and to Helena and to Nikki. Uh, Helena does the Stall and Stable podcast, and Nikki does the Take the Reins podcast, all part of the Horse Radio Network. And, of course, you do this show. And 
all three of these shows are finalists in the AHP pod or uh, AHP Media Awards in the podcast category. So we have Yay. three shows out of the Horse Radio Network that are finalists in that. And I, and I it's in Dallas, so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna pop down there for the evening and and hang out. You and, know, we uh, won it I, a couple times. They're not gonna give it to us again, right? You realize that. Well, the point is, you're actually giving a speech. You're doing a talk. I am doing, yeah, I'm doing a podcasting talk. And this time, so I've spoken at AHP before. And when I spoke there before, it was how to start a podcast. It was like two, three years ago. And nobody at the entire conference, and this is all media and journalists for the horse world, had a podcast. So it was well attended. Uh, When I'm (laughs) speaking this time, I'm speaking on, okay, you've started a podcast. Now, how do we keep the podcast going and successful. And I guarantee you there's so many podcasts that have started, the room would be filled with people who have already started podcasts and wondering why, you know, why it's taking so long to get listeners. So that's what I was speaking about this time, but that shows you how the industry has changed in a couple of years. Did, uh, were you being sarcastic that nobody actually showed up at your last one? No, that, a lot of people showed up and none of them were podcasters because nobody had podcasts except for us. So wow. now a whole bunch of people have started horse podcasts. So I think we'll we'll see a lot of them showing up for this one. On okay, now I started it. Now what? Uh, yeah. So that's the next evolution. And as we learned, it takes a long time <laughs> to develop an audience in a show. It just does, and that hasn't changed in the past twelve years. Nobody's listening to us right now. No, so that's we'll right. We're we're <laughs> we're golden. I, oh, you know what? We probably shouldn't have said that line right before we talk about our sponsor. <laughs> oh, I mean, there's thousands upon thousands of <laughs> that people tuning in. Probably a bad idea. <laughs> Speaking of our sponsor, head on over to StatelineTac.com right now. Now, the big banner on the homepage is Super Savings on Halters and Leads. When I got into the horse world, and when we started our own tack company back in the 1990s, even back then, I was shocked at how many companies make halters and how many different kinds of halters there are. I'm so particular about my halters. Well, and I think we've owned almost every kind of halter over the years. You know, Jennifer really, she will not own a halter that doesn't have a breakaway leather top. Even if it's a nylon, you know, we have lots of nylon halters, but they have to have the breakaways. Um, and then with, with Nigel, she started using the rope halter. Uh, which is the only horse I've and I still to this day don't know why she uses the rope halter with him, but it, to, it, we've never had a, anybody use a rope halter yet. A lot of people love the rope halters. So I, again, I can't explain why she's using that with Nigel, but I think we have uh, leather halters and almost every kind of halter you can imagine in the barn. Uh, and they have a bunch of them on sale right now over at statelinetech.com. It's time for the Horses in the Morning Horse Health Report. When our intrepid hosts, together with an unlucky member of the equine veterinary trade, attempt to inform, enlighten, or terrify horse owners everywhere into funding a Kickstarter campaign to mass-produce Kevlar-coated, bubble-wrap-lined equine products. The voice you are going to hear is very familiar. She's been on the show for probably about 10 years off and on, and that is Erin Denny-Jones, the FEI veterinarian and owner of Florida Equine Veterinary Services down in Claremont, Florida. Hello, Dr. Jones. Good morning, everybody. This is great to talk again with you guys. Well, I know you're not in Florida right now dealing with the rain that Glenn has, so enjoy the continued vacation that you are having. Unexpected. Continued vacation. Yes, ma'am. Yes, well, you know, take own it, girl. Just own it. <laughs> I am. I am. So, I'm relaxing. <laughs> what we're going to talk about today is the SI joint, and that is something that 
people talk about a lot, but I don't know if everyone really knows or understands. I know I don't exactly what's involved with the SI joint and the issues with it. So let's start with it. Talk to us. What is the SI joint? Let me see if I can do anatomy over the phone, which will be very interesting. <laughs> uh, the SI is sacroiliac joint. So sacral means from the sacrum, which is the last part of your uh, your vertebrae that runs down your back. And the same with us. We have sacrum as well. The horse does too. And then iliac is part of the ilium of the pelvis. And the pelvis, of course, has the three separate areas, but the ilium is what we're primarily talking about today. The sacrum and the ilium come together in the sacroiliac joint, and it sits behind the saddle, behind the croup, basically, the top line that everybody talks about me, the hunter's bump area. It sits about at that area, maybe a little bit behind it, off to the right and to the left. So there's two joints in the horse that are sacroiliac because the pelvis, you know, it goes from one side to the other. And this acts in more of a sliding fashion type joint. It is not a ball and socket joint like your hip or your shoulder. It's not a hinge like your knee. It is more of a sliding joint. So it sits somewhat flat and at an angle. And it allows the pelvis to tuck itself underneath and the sacrum to tuck itself underneath for, let's say, a reining horse or a dressage horse or any kind of collection you do in the hind end, beginning a canter, those kind of things. So it helps slide and move those two pieces of bone in a nice fashion underneath the horse. I hope oh, that helped explain. It does. The so anatomy of it. when you reach behind, you're sitting in the saddle and you reach behind, it's like almost like that one, it's right before that bump that you feel with the, where the pelvis is, I guess. Yes. But it's off on the side. It's not, you know, completely on the side where they have the point of the hip sticking out. It's between that and your basically croup area. So just in within that area is okay. a, a good, and a lot of horses can be sore in that area not necessarily sacroiliac, it could be more muscle sore, but a lot of soreness in that area. You've got to start thinking about sacroiliac as well. So what are some of the common problems that people have with the SI joint? Well, the biggest thing is bucking. And that's really one of our number one complaints. Keep it simple that way. Um, they will ask for a canter and the horses start bucking out. Not necessarily if a horse bucks when they're cantering on a lunge line or when you're under saddle, do you think, oh, it's got to be the SI because there's other things that can cause that. But a lot of times it can be the SI joint and it could be one lead over the other. Yes, for a canter on the right lead and it starts bucking out and the left lead, you don't have as much problem. That means one side's probably worse than the other. But bucking is usually the number one sign as Sue Dyson, Dr. Dyson in uh, Newmarket says, is it feels like they're shooting you through the ears. Um, when they start to feel the pain in the SI and they have this little buck that kind of shoots you through the ears. So um, that's usually one of the um, prime signs you'll hear from the clients that you're having and it ends up being an SI issue. Now, of course, the it, other it, subtle ones are the dressage riders and say they can't get the collection and things like that. So so it's interesting you say that there's a all you said there's all sorts of reasons why horses do buck. And that is what I try to tell people all the time. I'm like, if your horse is bucking, they do not want to buck. Like it is not something right. horses do not want to expend any excess energy than they have to. So when they are bucking, they are trying to tell you something. So they could be bucking um, because the SI joint. Now, what is the problem in the SI joint that would cause them to buck? It's, Okay, so it's a bone-on-bone. -bone. It's an osteoarthritis. 
as we say in the hot joint, when you're doing like a sliding stop, I'm back to the Rainers again, and I'm not picking on the Rainers. It's just an easy example. When you're doing like a sliding stop in the hawk, they also have a sheer force type joint that we inject and it slides forward. And if bone hits on bone, you get this sharp pain, like an instant fire. And it just, it hits them and it's like a knife and they're like, Oh, that hurts. Same thing with the SI is they get this sliding motion. And once the cartilage has been worn away in some area and the bone hits bone, they get this sharp fire knife, you know, ouch. And that's where they'll fuck out and say, Oh, can't do that. That hurts. And yeah. they'll even do it on a lunge line sometimes when they're pretty bad. So, you know, it's, it's a bone on bone. It's an osteoarthritis. So, I've got a horse that potentially might have, you've looked at it, you go, okay, you might have an SI issue. How are you to diagnose that for sure? Okay. So that is where it gets a bit difficult with horses. I also have to explain that in that SI area region, besides the joint, we also have the sacroiliac ligament. And we have found some, as we call it, desmitis. So some inflammation, some tearing in that ligament. Um, we can start with ultrasounding that area. Unfortunately, it's mostly via rectal exam to get the full view um, of that. So some of the Geldings and Italians aren't too keen on that, and even some of the mayors aren't too keen on that. But uh, a good ultrasonographer can get a really good image of that uh, joint and the ligament via rectally and get a good idea. And they will do definitely both sides to see how it looks, even though one side might be more of a problem. You can also ultrasound from the top down, but you're only going to get part of the joint. So the front part and the back part of the joint, uh, because you have some bony uh, levels in the way that don't allow you to see all of it. That's why via rectal, you can get a little clearer view of all of it. But doing both of those helps a lot. That's a, believe it or not, a um, least invasive per se procedure for a horse. The next step up that we have to do, because we can't radiograph that area, is a nuclear medicine, nuclear scan, nuclear scintigraphy of that area. And if it's a ligament desmitis, that's not going to show us because this nuclear or bone scan, as we call them, shows only bony issues. And mm -hmm. the bony issues will flare up during arthritis. And so they'll see a collection of the radioisotope that they inject into your horse in that area. Um, so a lot of people think that's more uh, invasive, per se, because you're, you're injecting your horse with a radioisotope. It's not dangerous. It's a bit expensive, but it's not dangerous. And by law of some certain states, sometimes they have to hold the horse 24 hours or 48 hours because of the radioactivity of their urine. Um, so it's a, a bit of a hospitalized involvement and, in, you know, hauling to a facility for that. The ultrasound's, you know, a little easier to do because you can do that on the farm with a good ultrasonographer who has the proper equipment, too, because there's certain probes from your ultrasound that you need to use to evaluate. Gotcha. I would think that the horse would say that was the more invasive way. <laughs> Just saying it. Um, so, okay. So we've got either a potential bone on bone issue. We've got mm -hmm. a ligament issue. And obviously mm -hmm. both of those potentially are treated differently. So how do you, once you've diagnosed it and you decide that it's a ligament issue, is it rest and butte or is it, what, what do you do? It depends on what you're doing with the horse. Most of our SI-diagnosed horses are in full work. These are our champions. These are our working horses. These are our competitors. That was my um, next I question to, was, does it just happen to the layperson or these these athletes to get it? But I do have, I do, I can't, I, I, you know, I do have majority of my practice are wonderful 
excellent amateur rider horses, or riders and their horses. And those horses, I have injected them as well as amateurs too. And um, they, you know, get a lot of relief. But these horses, um, you have to be careful about the rules and regulations of showing. You have to make sure that you're doing proper injections if you're going to inject, because you can inject over the ligament and it will absorb through the joint capsule and in the joint area. You're not necessarily going into the joint with the injections uh, a lot of times. So uh, you can inject a, a steroid, but you have to make sure you have your days out of either FEI or USEF. Um, if you're not in that window, uh, the good window of, of being able to get that done before the next show, we can certainly do shockwave therapy. And that's worked beautifully for a temporary relief on some of the cases, and especially ligament cases. Um, but again, there is a ruling on that of, you know, five days for the USDF and the uh, FDI. So Even for shockwave? Sure. Yes, you have to make sure that you're still outside the window, but it's not weeks. So that's the good part. It's not at least weeks, especially FEI. Those are the horses I'll be shockwaving more than I'll be injecting just to get them through the show season. And then we'll do the injections either long before they have to go out and heavy campaign or at the end of the heavy campaign when they can kind of do it at a little slower pace and they don't have to worry about drug testing and such. But the, the um, shockwave works beautifully um, in that area as long as it's not a very demised uh, joint. Gotcha. So if it's a ligament, we can shockwave it. If it's the bone on bone in the joint, you can inject it and they kind of communicate mm -hmm. a little bit, no matter what. Um, so is it something that we can heal or is it just like hock injections where it's just something you have to kind of maintain? Well, bone on bone never heals, unfortunately. Um, you know, there is a uh, products out there, Adequan, that's known to help do uh, con uh, cartilage protection. It's a disease modifying osteoarthritic drug. So it does a great job of keeping the cartilage healthy that's there. So you can always try to do that to kind of do preventative um, in the future. But once you get bone on bone, you're, you're kind of at your last resort of trying to take care of that horse. So injections become a bit more regular. And it's not because you were doing the injections of the bone on bone. It's because of their lifestyle and their genetics. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, it's a maintenance thing. And then at some point, and I've had this discussion mostly with my amateurs rather than my professionals. At some point, you'll have to know that your amateur horse is maxed out. And you'll have to accept that. And you may have purchased that horse with a slight SI problem that you never realized until you started to engage that joint more and more for whatever you were doing as you're moving up the ranks of your competitions. So at some point, you'd say, gosh, this was a great ride. We had a good time. We got, you know, five years out of this horse that gave me pleasure. But I don't want to ask him to try to do the long jump when he's not even able to do uh, a jump over a crack of a, uh, a sidewalk. So, you know, <laughs> you have to, you have to understand where they're, they're at in their life. And especially as they age too, I am no longer going to be running uh, marathons or five K's. I'll be doing walk five K's with my knees. So I, I just, ha you have to start putting in perspective as time goes. You know what? I find walking a five K a waste of time. So you don't even need to do that. <laughs> 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 I mean, take yeah. it from me. Well, it's supposed to make you feel good. You know that euphoria is supposed to make you feel good, but I don't know uh -huh. why I that feel good either. <laughs> I just get bored about halfway through. I'm just like, oh, why am I doing this? I could have taken the, my bike. I'd be here already. 
Right? Exactly. Could have ridden a horse <laughs> yeah. without SI pain. Well, Dr. Jones, where can people find you to find out more and learn and get, uh, I mean, because your website, uh, you know, I asked you where it is, but I have it right here. It's FloridaEquine.com. And what is awesome about FloridaEquine.com is there is a client form section, which is client education. And there are so many like broodmare nutrition, the colic checklist, Glenn, hurricane preparedness. Okay. You can go on there and be ready. <laughs> Too the late. website <laughs> is so um, fantastic, and you guys do such a great job of trying to communicate with your clients and 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 to educate the clients. So I think it's fantastic what you guys do. Thank you very much, and I'm happy to continue to try to educate because I think a smarter horse owner makes a better horse owner. They can kind of understand why are we doing this to our animal and why is our animal doing this when we're trying to ride and enjoy them. So I think an educated owner really is a better benefit to the animal and to the veterinarian. Well, fantastic. I'm reading about broodmare nutrition. Crossing my fingers, my mare is in full. <laughs> Dr. Jones, thank you so much. Well, we'll see. You know what? Here, side note, I'm going to nerd out on you for a second. So they, I, she's 21 years old. She's had a ton of babies. And we, uh, you know, I went to check the follicle last week to see if, see if she had taken. And the follicle was there. And my, my vet said, uh, she's uh, questionable because the follicle is supposed to be 10 millimeters and it was five millimeters. Do you have any experience? Mm -hmm. I figured he put the wrong semen in and bred her to a mini is what I think. But <laughs> he said no, we could have no. caught her <laughs> a day, day early, delayed. a day later. What, yeah. what, what could happen? Delayed. Tell me something it's good. A, it's called delay. Yes. It's a, it's a delayed conception and it's totally fine. There's no like, hint that anything's going to grow slower or abnormally or anything to that effect. It's just, it's a good note to note as a veterinarian. And then you just kind of keep track of it, track of it as you go. So oh, you are going to do more checks, right? Yes. We're, I'm going tomorrow. So we're going to do the, the, do another one to make sure it's growing. And then we go on later to find the heartbeat. Yeah. Okay. He's yeah, got my arm up my mare more one. than, yeah. <laughs> the keeping... one is fantastic. I love my favorite one actually is the 45 day one. I like that one the most. Um, because the heartbeat is a little bit more prominent for the clients to see rather than the 25-day. Um, some of the structures, they can kind of get an idea. Some of the bony structures kind of come in a little bit to get a better idea. 60 days kind of nice as well. But then as you get a little bit later into 90 days, if you have a large mare and you don't have a very long arm like I don't, it's sometimes hard to get that beautiful picture. So somewhere between 45 and 60 are my favorite times to ultrasound to show the clients because they get so excited because they start to see things. I have a, the, the most important question is what day can he ultrasound my mare and tell me if it's a cult? Oh, there is two times that they can do that. So one is around the 90 day check and one is around uh, the 120 day check. And there's two different things they look at for those two different checks. Um, it's a no, whole nother podcast time, but um, <laughs> very interesting to know what you're looking for at those two times. And there are some board of genologists in the area that could probably do that for you. Will, well, he so. is one. Will he be able to tell at that 90 day check if it's a chestnut mare? That's really what she wants to know. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm sure he can. <laughs> I'm like, what color is it? I'm that guy. What color is it? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? What is it? Thank well, you, you know Dr. Jones. The, the famous line from a, from a veterinarian when you have the unfortunate duty of having to pinch a twin so the other one can live is you always tell the paint client that you pinch the solid. 
We pinched the solid. And on that happy note, we're going to say goodbye. Thank you, Dr. Jones. We're like, which one did you, how did you decide to pinch one? Oh, I pinched the solid for you so you could have the pain. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, damn, she's good. Oh, my God. All right, you two are getting morbid. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Have a great day, you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Let's hear from one of the shows that was nominated or is a finalist in the HP Media Awards. And then we're coming back with our Black Reigns Guest of the Month. Keeping our horses happy and healthy is paramount to horse owners everywhere. Since our horses are often a reflection of the environment we create for them, the Stall and Stable Show covers ideas that help us create the best home we can. From innovations in barn design to business best practices and lifestyle segments, There's a new episode every two weeks at stallandstable.com, Horse Radio Network, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, as you all know, we have a guest every month that is set up by Black Reigns Magazine, our friends over there. We've been doing this for years, and they always bring us the most fascinating, the most fun guests. And today, we have another one of those, and she happens to be my neighbor. Uh, It's Velvet Salisbury, and she is equine director at Youth Opportunity, and that's here in Ocala, Florida. So she is also very wet today. Hi, Velvet. Good morning, sir. <laughs> I think both of us were going, oh, I'm not sure we're going to be doing this interview today, because <laughs> we usually lose power during hurricanes and tropical storms, but we got lucky over here. Yes, we did. We did. But for, for now, we're still, we're still going. We're still going for now. So tell us, what is Youth Opportunity? What do you guys do? A youth Opportunity Investment, what we do is we make every attempt to set our youth up here um, for success and independence. Um, when they leave here. So we have, you know, a great multitude of programs here when I when come here because our youth, as you know, they're troubled. Um, that's why they're here. And it is really our goal to return them, you know, to the communities and to society um, a lot better off than they left. So we you focus on healing, uh, you know, on healing, rehabilitation, accountability, and competency and achievement. And so it's at-risk youth from what ages? Um, the ones I deal with, they're, they're approximately in between ages of about 16 and 18. And, are, and I assume, you know, they're probably mostly from the city. They haven't had anything to do with a horse, right? No. The kids I get in here have usually had no contact with a horse or anything that big. This is usually their first, uh, their very first actual contact um, with a horse. How do you overcome, what do you have them do first to, to overcome that, uh, I'm scared to death and I don't want to do this? Well, first, I usually start off by explaining to them what kind of an animal a horse is um, and that we are prey animals. And, you know, I mean, you know, the horses are prey type animals and that, you know, humans, dogs and cats and things like that, that were predatory. And I make them understand, you know, the horse, he is an herbivore, he's a plant eater. You know, he's not here to bite, kick, or hurt you or anything like that. None of the fun stuff they've seen on TV and videos that the horse is, in fact, he's big and he's peaceful. Um, I do explain, I get into detail about the nature of what a horse is, that he is, in fact, a flight animal. And when it break it down to them that way, that they understand that, you know, they're the, they, you know that we are more predatory in nature than the horse is, they gain more of an understanding. So when you create understanding, uh, fear tends to just kind of leave. Education and understanding is a real good way to relieve anybody of fear. 
Well, and, and that brings up another good point is most of the kids coming in here have had an interesting life, to say the least, right? And a lot yeah. of that's involved yeah. with being hepped up and just, you know, just on edge all the time. How do you get them to chill around the horses? Well, a lot of these kids, are they're, they're, they're good kids. They've just made some bad choices. And some of the environments that they come from is it's just kind of a rough place. Um, when they come to the barn, the whole environment down there is when you come through my gate, we leave all that on the outside. And that's kind of the beginning. Every, every kid is taught that when they come in here, they're responsible for closing the gate. And closing that gate symbolizes any ne- negativity that you have. Sometimes we do have to work through some of those things, but the idea of it is you leave your negativity on the other side of the gate. And then we understand that, of course, that, you know, that's a symbol, but the negativity is still there. But they're in a place to where they can work out those things, when they can be expressed in a way that is positive, that change can occur. So when they come inside the gate, I let them know I'm not judging you. You know, that's not what we're here for that I'm not here to punish any small behaviors or anything you may be working on, that I am here to help you improve yourself and learn how to deal with feelings of frustration. So they get the idea from me that I am, in fact, here to add more skills to them and to show them a better way. So the stress that they are initially under, that kind of melts away. So I try, and while I do maintain authority, I try not to represent myself as an authority figure. And when they realize that, they're like, okay, this is somebody we can talk to. You know, we're going to learn how to do something to better ourselves. So when they get in that frame of mind, they are still nervous about the horse, but they understand that this environment in that barn is just different. And, you know, the layers of stress just kind of fall off on their own. How how long, I want to ask something about you too, um, but how long... Are they in the program before the light bulb goes on? And I think you know we all know we're all horse people. We know what that means. Where where you just start to get yes. to where you start to get it, what it's like to be around horses, and you know how to be around horses. How long till that light bulb? And I'm sure it's different with every one of them, right? Yes, it's different with everyone, but you see a similar pattern when the light bulb starts to come on. We have a little mare. She's a thoroughbred retirement mare. Her name is Fifth Angel, and she's the smallest mare. But, you know, of course, the smallest mare is always the biggest one. Right. She is... Yeah, That's true in people, too, I've learned. Yep. <laughs> and she uh, she knows her job is to, to greet and to basically take every new youth that comes in into the herd. And, of course, they are nervous because they think she's the biggest horse because, she's you know, she's the first one they meet. And, you know, as they go on, they learn they meet bigger horses. But what we do, when I, when I see the light bulb come on, the first reaction to her is to, to be nervous, to see how big she is, to you know, how powerful that she is, you know, to them in their eyes. And she just simply reaches her nose over the gate and just waits and gently breathes on each kid and they touch her. And I show them the appropriate way to approach her. You approach her at the shoulder, of course. And she turns her head and breathes on that child. And they realize, okay, well, she's not here to do anything bad. And I show them the correct way to respond to being greeted appropriately. And then the horse responds. And when the child realizes, or our youth realizes, when I'm respectful, when I'm calm, when my energy is in a good place, something this big, you know, and possessing this much power becomes gentle with me, mm-hmm. that, that I'm not in any danger, that any time I'm good, the horse is good. 
Anytime I react appropriately, the horse reacts again and with acceptance because the horse is a herd animal. So I use a herd mentality of the horse to create an environment of acceptance for the youth. So when a kid starts getting into the habit of doing the correct approach, of showing respect upon seeing the horse and getting that back immediately, the, the fear and the, you know, just kind of being unsure about things, that just kind of falls away. And when they realize they go over and they see her ears go forward, you know, when her head comes down, they realize every time I'm respectful, every time I'm gentle, anytime I center myself, this, you know, this creature is immediately accepting. So they're nervous while they're doing that the first few times, but then that just becomes a norm for them. And you see that light bulb kick on. For some kids, when they come out, they're in a bad mood or, or something is happening. I want to talk about it. And they notice that she's kind of sort of moving away from them. I've had a handful of them realize, wait a minute, something's up. Because this horse is responding with kind of moving away from me. And they've been taught how to get the horse to accept them. So when they realize something that they've done has caused, you know, fifth angel to move away, you see the light bulb come on. It's like, I've done something. But I know the correct way, you know, I know how to be respectful and to get her to come back. So creating a bond and then having the horse respond to negative energy and to the positive energy, that is when the light clicks on when they realize they've influenced something that much bigger than themselves with their own behavior. Do they realize, let's take that a step further, though. Do they realize then that that also applies to when they're on the street, when they're in everyday life, that, you know, that that being calm is probably going to get them out of a situation better than being violent. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, we do an exercise I call a walk in the rainbow. Uh, the rainbow, the, <laughs> it's, it's kind of fun. Uh, when, after our youth have gotten accustomed to, you know, approaching the horse at the shoulder, if, if the horse is facing and they have to cut the horse off and come and come at the shoulder. I, every once in a while, I'll have a kid approach me that way, or I'll approach one of them that way. And I'm like, well, how do you feel about the way I'm approaching you? And then I'll walk right at one of them because that's kind of confrontational. It's what they, it's what they come to me doing is walking right at mm-hmm. a person because they've had to. And if I walk right at a kid or I put them in a position to where they've got a treat and the horse walks right at them, they go, wait a minute, you know, this is making me uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, this is what you're doing, you know, when you're behaving that way toward a stranger. You need to be cognizant of your approach. And so they get accustomed to approaching in the correct way. And I tell them, hey, try that with people. You know, try it with people. It's not going to work for everyone. But if someone you meet is a little ambiguous about you, try not to walk right at them and be predatory. So they're learning. I don't have to behave predatory in every situation. Sometimes they have to literally walk that rainbow and be the person who turns off of that path of walking right at somebody. And that literal change in body language. That literal change in body language sometimes can make all the difference. Something that may have been a confrontation has now become a person going, wait a minute, this isn't a confrontation. Let me wait and see what's about to happen. And if you can actually get something that might have been negative to turn into a conversation, as opposed to it turning into something potentially aggressive. So literally teaching the kid to just angle their body away from anything, you know, that may be very direct. And a horse is very useful for that. We have one horse, if you walk right at him, he walks away. He, he's not confrontational at all. At all. <laughs> Second horse, he's Sergio. He's hilarious. He's one of the biggest horses we have here. And walking directly at him, to him, he sees it as a confrontation. He's going to leave. 
And the kids immediately, when they realize he's leaving, they'll, they'll, they'll turn and take a more rainbow approach to coming to his shoulder as opposed to coming at his face. I like the rainbow approach. I like that. I like that term, actually. And well, it becomes it becomes a different way to approach a situation that's bigger than you are. So, all right. So now I want to get back to you a little bit. So you were a sheriff here in our county, right here, uh, for what thirteen years? Yeah, twelve and a half years. Okay. So how did? Obviously, you were pretty hyped up after work some days. Uh, how did horses help you deal with everything you had to deal with being a policeman? Um, I was I was uh, I was in corrections and on on patrol briefly for the twelve and a half years I was there. My I I guess my mentality was a little different. Some people in that line of work seek control, and 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 that's kind of what you're you're seeking control. But if you have control in your personal life, you're not necessarily directing that need for control with other people. Mm. And if you're not directing that need for control with other people, it gives you other options and how you deal with them. Because you're not looking at a sense of you do have to maintain control of other individuals in that line of work. But if you're not seeking it with aggression, um, if you're not seeking it with them, you know, versus us mentality, you're whole way approaching and seeing what you do, you know, for the public and with the public is a different way. And my own horses, the way I deal with them, mine are, I've got an alpha mare at my house and she can control her as a mistake. <laughs> That's just never the way I approach my own mare. And she is, she is one, she demands respect and I'm, I'm kind of individual. I expect respect also. So meeting her when I come home from work, she is just the most lovely thing ever. But at the same time, if you come directly at her, her response isn't to walk away, it's to blow her neck up. And it reminds me of my own attitude. If I come home, um, my horse always tells me the truth. If, if she blows her neck up at me, I know I've approached her aggressively. And I'm like, okay, we can stop this. So it's not necessarily the horse mirroring me, but that's a reaction to something I'm putting out. So my horses are a real good gauge for me, how they behave around me when I'm around them. And I know immediately, okay, I must have done something. I need to internalize my own behavior and my own attitude. And it's become, because I want to work with my horse and ride her and my gelding, my habit has become, I need to change gears. And so I can put myself back on that rainbow and go, okay, you're, you know, you're being confrontational, you stop. And I've actually told myself that. So when you do something yourself, it's actually fairly easy to teach it to someone else when you are practicing what you preach. So my own horses actually keep me, they help keep me centered and it keeps me basically in a position to where I'm not seeking control with other people. And it makes it, it makes communication easier for me when I'm dealing with kids who are used to confrontation and they meet me and that's not what I'm doing. You know, they're kind of all geared up waiting for something to happen that just doesn't happen. Eventually you have to, you know, the energy goes away and you kind mm-hmm. of have to come down. And they find me there waiting on them. <laughs> as soon as you come down, I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love the whole rainbow approach, too. I've never heard it quite described that way. Well, and I know you, Youth Opportunity has a website. It's youth, youthopportunity.com, right? Yes. And we appreciate you joining us. We also want to thank Black Rains again, Black Rains Magazine, for, for setting this up. Velvet, you've been delightful. It's so much fun to meet a neighbor here in Ocala. And uh, keep up the good work. Time to learn why some days you're embarrassed to be part of the human race in Jamie's Weird News. If you see a 
a news story and you're reading it and you're like, wow, that's super weird. Email it to me, jamie at horseradionetwork.com and put weird news in the subject line, just like Amy, Rochelle, Scott, Anna, and Laureen did. So thank you guys very much for uh, bringing those to my attention. I do not reveal who sent me what simply because nobody needs to know your business and where you're getting your news and what you actually click on. It's not important. Uh, So we're going to start in California. A California driver was just heading down the freeway and ended up getting pulled over by the California Highway Patrol. Um, Why, Glenn, you would ask? Why, Jamie? Well, because they had attached a satellite dish to their car hood. And apparently that's not. Were they watching TV? (laughs) The satellite dish resembled SpaceX Starlink internet dish. And apparently you can buy those. And the driver said that he was using it to help his business is on the go. So he needed that satellite dish. And the officer says, I'm sorry. I stopped you today because of their visible visual obstruction on your hood. Does it not block your view while driving? And the motorist replied, only when I make right turns. <laughs> yeah, they were ticketed and it was removed. <laughs> this wasn't Florida, right? This was California. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> now we're going to head to Daytona Beach, Florida, because oh, an of exit off I-95 had to be closed for three Hours, three hours to shut down the freeway. Why would they shut down the I don't freeway? Know, but for that three must have hours? been backed up to Georgia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'm sure it was. There was a hazard to motorists because a crate fell off of a truck late Tuesday near Daytona Beach, and um, 100 homing pigeons fell out <laughs> onto the freeway. <laughs> Did they, they all just fly home? The air, created a hazard for drivers, but because the birds roost at night, the pigeons wouldn't move. Oh, they were like, "It's a bedtime. I'm not. I'm not getting out." Apparently, they weren't banded, so the owner was not immediately determined, and uh, the animal control uh, uh, had to come out and catch With a them great all. Great big net. <laughs> With a great big net. Oh my god, that would have been funny. I wish I think there's got to be video of that one around someplace. Oh, there is. There is. I bet there you can is. Find it on. <laughs> This time we're going to head to Maine. We are going to go to Maine where the criminals are super smart. Okay. So a a guy got pulled over because there was a report of a stolen vehicle on Sunday morning. And um, they... There was a report of a stolen vehicle. This guy was walking around. He was close. And they were like, hey, uh, we need to ask you some questions. They got his ID. And they're like, oh, you're not the guy that stole the car. But there's a warrant out for your arrest for stealing from where, Glenn? Where did the guy steal from? I don't know. Walmart. Walmart. I was just going to say Walmart. <laughs> so he, get, he gets arrested for having an outstanding warrant for stealing from a Walmart. And they're like, okay, well, you can post bail. It's $200. So he says, oh, I've got enough money to post $200 in bail. And then he paid with two $100 bills. And they were like, (laughs) these are counterfeit. So he tried to pay his own bail (laughs) with counterfeit money. He was then denied bail. I bet. And returned to jail with the additional charge of forgery. (laughs) Those guys smart. 
Uh, do you remember in the old days? It used to be Kmart had these stories in the old days. I wonder if Kmart feels bad that they're not even good enough anymore for the criminals. The weird news. <laughs> Heartbreaking. <laughs> um, we're going to move to my hometown of Atlanta, Georgia. There's a woman in the suburbs, and her name is Christine Frank. And her husband got up early in the morning, got out of bed, to let their dog outside. But she stayed in bed while he went and, you know, made the coffee or whatever. But then she felt something moving in her bed. And it it wasn't her husband because he was not in there and it wasn't the uh, dog. Do I want to know? She, We've been seeing a lot of snakes lately. <laughs> it's not snakes. Oh, good. But it's, it's worth. Uh, she uh, notes it on the dog that a lot of the dogs sleep in the bed. So she, oh my God, what is it? Do you know what a serval is, Glenn? It's like a little rodent type thing, isn't it? No, no, no. No? It's a giant cat. Oh. It's like oh, a those, bobcat. Oh, those bobcat type spots. things. Yeah, yeah. There was a serval like a bobcat in her bed. And she doesn't and own a serval? She said, I looked at the cat and I knew immediately that's not a normal house cat. It did not look like a pet. It looked like a wild animal. So she said the cat, cat jumped out of bed almost immediately did. as soon as she jumped. And her husband come in and she's like, oh my God, Dave. And she's like, Dave, that is not a cat. <laughs> So the husband, when he entered the room, found his wife freaking out. He locked eyes with the cat and then he like opened the door and it was able to shoo the cat out of the house. How the hell did a <laughs> serval, they have a dog cat door, cat get into the house? They have a dog door. Like, of course, she's like, what if I had small children? What would happen? I don't know. There'd have been a big cat in their bed trying to take a nap. I don't know. <laughs> So the uh, Animal Legal Defense Fund has told them that it probably got into the Atlanta area because guess what? Somebody could be illegally keeping it as yeah. a house pet, but it's in the wrong house. So good times. <laughs> so this is why I refused while living anywhere to have a dog door. Yeah. And in Florida, you hear about snakes getting in and little gators getting into people's house. It's like, no, I don't. Really do I just saw somebody post a picture of a raccoon eating at their cat food Well, dish. yeah, raccoons. We have one that lives in our driveway. I mean, <laughs> one in the house. And our final story. This is just, I mean, the person who sent me this, you really nailed it because this is just weird. We're going to go to, where else, Glenn? Back to Florida. Oh, of course. Cape Coral, Florida. You like to end on Florida, I noticed. I, Yeah, well, that's what I do. But this one's just weird. So residents living in a Florida town got an early 4th of July show it was, I think, on the 3rd. They said they, they, there wasn't much to see, but the residents could definitely hear it. All the dogs started barking. And the, the quote is, the dogs were barking and we went outside and this guy standing in the street screaming. I mean, so loud. This man was apparently protesting others who set off fireworks a little earlier in the year. And he was caught on security footage yelling, boom, firecracker. <laughs> In the wee hours of the morning, apparently, according to Cape Coral Police Department, pretending to be a firework is also going to run afoul of our noise ordinance. So he was then uh, detained. We don't have noise ordinances in Florida. They made that up. We don't. No! <laughs> the way it sounded around here on the 4th, it was like World War Three. So, no. What an idiot. How much meth had that guy done? Although, he got mad although I can appreciate that. I think there's times I wanted to go out and scream in the 
street. So yes, yeah. I can appreciate what he did. I wanted to turn, you know, we have this neighbor here who likes to, he does it less now because he's been in fights with so many of the neighbors, but he used to play rap music at about midnight at about 100 decibels. Yeah. Um, and so I figured that he was probably sleeping in a little longer in the morning. So at eight o'clock in the morning, if we didn't have other neighbors, I wanted to play like country at the loudest decibel I could put it at about eight o'clock in the morning. I figured, you know, he probably doesn't like country, so that would be perfect. The thing is, I don't like country all that much either, but I would have done it. I would have done it. I didn't have speakers big enough. That was my biggest So problem. my next door neighbor came over and they were like, um, I'm pretty sure you're blasting music. Why are you blasting music in your barn at night? But remember, my house is at the, the back. The yeah, barn is like at the front. You've got like 20 acres, don't you? Yeah, so our house is in the back of the 20 acres, and the front of it is where my barn and arena is and all that, and that is adjacent. There's a neighbor to the left, a neighbor to the right, and a neighbor across the street. And he was like, why are you blasting music in your barn all night? I was like, I'm not blasting music. He was like, I hear it. Is there a band that's – he thought there was a band practicing (laughs) in the barn at night? I was like, no. Are you singing on the side? We don't know about it? No, I'm not. And I was like, maybe like next to the right of me, like two down from them, somebody's – I don't know. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Finally, he's like, that's it. And he called the cops. And the cops came out. Do you know where the music was coming from? No. Directly, uh, my neighbors directly across the street have a teenage daughter. And she was getting in their car at like 2 in the morning (laughs) and cranking up the music. And they didn't notice their own daughter in the driveway doing that? Uh, People across the street, they don't care. They've given up on her. My next door neighbors, (laughs) it wasn't their kid. It was the people across the street. Yeah, the next door uh, people across the street, they don't. They don't. They've given up on her a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. This Oklahoma reminder. reminder. So, yeah, at like 2 in the morning, she's getting in their car and like blasting the music so loud that my neighbors thought I had a band practicing (laughs) in my barn at the wee hour. Has that stopped now, by the way? Well, yeah. Once the police get called, I think the poor teenager might have pooped on the seat. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) You probably had some interesting county sheriffs there where you live, too. That's friendly. It is Oklahoma. It is Oklahoma. (laughs) And remember the time that uh, I found cattle in my yard? Like there was a brothel and like three cows and my next door aforementioned my next door neighbor uh, was out of town and they have a gated a gate at their front, but it's always open. And so the cows were in my front, like on the main road. So I called the police. I'm like, 911, like, uh, what's your emergency? I don't know. There's like a bull in my yard. I don't know where I came from. Like, so there's a bull and like four cows, four heifers. And so he comes out and he's like, Yeah, I, you know, we get these calls sometimes. Um, and I said, Are you like a cow guy? He goes, No, I mean, I grew up on a farm, but I'm the one person that they send out for all these type of calls. And I was like, well, You're in a police car. Like, you don't have a trailer or anything. He's like, Here's what we're going to do. He goes, you stand on that side of the road. I'll stand on this side of the road. We're going to shoo them into your neighbor's place and close the gate. <laughs> and I was like, what is that going to solve? And he's like, well, they won't be in the road. It's not and my problem anymore. <laughs> and he literally puts him in, closes the gate, ties it together with a string, 
and leaves. Well, his problem was done, but they were off the road. <laughs> they were off the road. Work here's done. Good job. Day's work. Oh, my God. The follow-up to that was I went on next door, and I was like, there are cows. And I found a, a somebody who would actually take them who, uh, who was like, they have to be there 48 hours before because otherwise it's cattle rustling if I give the cows yeah, you away. You can get I shot found. for that in Oklahoma. So. Oh, well, ended next through next door ended up finding the They guy still hang people in the town square for that. Uh, uh, that's what the cow guy my neighbor, it's a friend of ours who did our hay and he had cows and I'm like uh, Nathan come and get some you want a bowl and some heifers <laughs> and so he was it was pretty funny he's like well I have to be there 48 hours I was like how do you know that why do you know that so right off the top of your head whatever it's fine anyway cows went home haven't been back and this is normally the kind of terrific content you get in the post show but uh everybody got this kind of content today i spilled it for you that's right and so on that note we won't have a post show today because we've run a little long but uh if you want to get that great post show content become an auditor coming in a minute i gotta go (laughs) go to horseradionetwork.com scroll down right inside of the page and you'll see the auditor banner for as little as three dollars a month you can get that quality content. That's the kind of thing we do in the post show, only with some swearing added in. And that's it for today. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We do appreciate it. It'll be Mary. We'll be here with Jennifer tomorrow doing a horse training episode like they do every month. Awesome. Spade and neutered guild, everybody. Glenn, I gotta go. All right. All right. Bye. See ya.